on this week's episode of Marketing O'Clock. LinkedIn targeting opens new doors and windows for Microsoft advertisers. Something to look forward to in 2021, Facebook will be limiting the number of ads a page can run. There's a new petition against Google ads. Huh, I wonder where that came from. And we crowdsourced some feedback from fans of the show that broke the new voicemail rules. The only thing worse than the bees living behind Greg's house is the swarm of TikTokers infesting the honey house. And we pour one out for the end of Shep's three-hour Sunday naps. Sad. Plus, find out what we all drove as our first car and why Shep's YouTube history isn't all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> oh, on today's show. Marketing O'Clock is your weekly dose of digital marketing news, a proud part of the Search Engine Journal Podcast Network. We record every week from the Cypress North Studios located in beautiful Buffalo, New York. Tune in to our critically acclaimed Famous Friday News Show for insights, updates, rants, and much more as we cover the full gamut of digital marketing for you. If you want to follow along, just check out our show notes or head over to marketingoclock.com for all of the links from today's articles. And please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Hey there, I'm Christine Zernheld. AKA Shep. I'm Jess Budd. And I'm Greg Finn. And it is officially Marketing O'Clock. Here on September 11th, 2020. Remember, you can catch our famous Friday news show each and every Friday morning. All your digital marketing news from the week. Powered by the digital marketing community. And if you want to join in the conversation, just hit us up. We are at Marketing O'Clock everywhere. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again for another show. It's good to see you guys, Jess and Greg. What is going on over there in Rochester, Greg? Well, over here, I wanted to just, I, I thought I'd have a good plan B update to the bees, but it kind of <laughs> was a full Google bomb miserable failure where I tried putting bee spray in there to not want them to go in and they didn't care. They're like uh, little honey badgers and just went right by my bee spray. So I'm going straight to plan F next. And I heard that you can put dishwashing detergent and water and put it in there, but I don't have a hose long enough. So I've got something I'm going to try and I'll report back next week on how to get the bees out of the hole so I can remove the rest of the trees. And clean their dishes while you're at it. Yeah. How do you put the, <laughs> this combination of fluids into the bee? What is it? It's not a hive? No, they're ground. The yellow jackets live in the ground. That's where Ugh. I was pulling this root and I pulled right into the bee hive and got bees all up on my shirt and I still have cuts and still, I still itch. I don't know what's wrong with me. So my plan was I'm going to take the dishwashing detergent. And maybe I'll record it on video. I'm going to spray it right <laughs> into the hole, but I don't have a hose long enough. So I'm going to get four different, I have four or five gallon jugs. I'm going to fill them with water and just dump 20 gallons of water in there and see what happens. And are they, first of all, <laughs> Jess is probably sad because she likes the bugs. I am, but I'm just wondering what you need the detergent for. The water should just do it. No? I, th I think it's a bad smell in the hive and it won't kill them. It'll just make it not a good place for them to live. Oh, that's oh. nice. So maybe they'll just head over to your house instead. That'd be nice. <laughs> Put them in that ant trap you invented last week. It'll Go right over nice. the trash pile to Lewiston. Hey, <laughs> ouch. 
<laughs> What's happening in Lewiston? So it's going good. Last night we decided as a family to go out for the first time since the pandemic. We've been getting takeout all along. We haven't, we've been cooking, but we, it's not like we haven't eaten fun food, but we decided to go to a restaurant and we brought the baby. So it was his first time and he was really, really well behaved, but I like forgot how to interact with other humans. I used to be like every server's favorite patron. Like I was always lots of fun. And I don't know if it was just the server that we had last night or if I lost my touch like the baby was sitting between Chris and I my husband and she's taking our drink orders and Chris was like well we'll split a flight and he started naming all these beers and I was like oh no we'll split the flight not him and like pointed at the baby and I thought it was really like a funny underage joke and she just looked at me like I was insane now th <laughs> those then, are the reactions you get in real world too Jess like non-pandemic world <laughs> really funny in the real world and I'm usually everybody's favorite like the servers all know my order they love me and I just don't know and my mom tried it too so it might have been this girl like she came up to the table and was like hi I'm Georgina I'll be your server that wasn't her real name and my mom's like oh I'm Donna and this is Neil and she started naming everybody and that was funny too and this girl just like I mean maybe she was smiling but she had a mask on so we couldn't yeah help. I don't know I just things were weird it was that's weird. a hard it's hard with the mask it is. That is really strange because you are usually so good with waiters, but that happened to me once. I was in high school and I went on a beach trip with my friend and the dad ordered a Long Island iced tea as a joke for her little sister who was like literally eight <laughs> and the waitress brought her brought her a Long Island iced tea because I think she I think she didn't know what it was. Well, I was just going to say, uh, you know, RIP to my life right now because football season is here. We did our team fantasy football draft as a company, Cypress North, yesterday. We have 18 teams. It's going to be a disaster. I have to watch the football app all the time now because, in addition to the basketball app, because my husband usually has season tickets, but now he's not allowed to go. So I actually have to watch, and I'm just really upset about it. I don't want to watch. <laughs> Sports sports are life, right? Or ball is life. What are the kids I usually say? take a lovely three hour nap during the football games. Mm. Can't you still do that, counterpoint? No, he's inviting people over to our house. Oh. No. So anyway, just think about me this weekend on Sunday as you're enjoying the game that I have to be awake. And we did want to thank everyone for listening to our special episode last week with Julie Buccini. Andrea Cruz, and Mark Saltarelli from our team. Don't worry if you missed it. You can catch up right now wherever you're listening to this episode. It's on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast. And we really loved being a part of this conversation about all the Google Ads drama over the past week. And we wait, wish wait. we could have- I didn't love it. I hated it. <laughs> I just, I did feel like it's bringing all of us together more than ever, you know? Yeah, maybe you don't like the subject, but the conversation's good. I know. Healthy combo. I feel like we're all on the same side and we have a common enemy in PPC chat. I'll give you that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we want to hear from you if you have a grievance to air or spicy take to share. Our phone lines are open. You can call us and get anything off your chest. Visit call.marketingoclock.com and leave us a message and you might hear your voice on a future episode. We already have quite a few voicemails this week and we're going to play some of them later in the episode. So stay tuned for that. But the rule is you get one voicemail that's a minute long. And if any of you know how to get rid of yellow jackets, please voicemail us and we'll share it on the air here. But you have one minute. A few folks didn't listen. So there's an exception this week, but not for the next weeks. Yeah, it's the last time. 
And don't forget, guys, you can see our smiling faces over on YouTube. You can catch the full show if you want, or just grab the main news in bite-sized bits with our Marketing O'Clock minis. So whatever you're feeling, you can find it all on the Search Engine Journal channel. That's Search Engine Journal, one word with no spaces when you search it. And please leave us a review, say something nice, or leave us a nice voicemail now, call.marketingclock.com. It makes us all worthwhile. What's in the news, Shep? So first up this week, we had so much doom and gloom last week. Feels like it really took over the episode. But we have more good news to start with from Microsoft advertising today. Wait, and in Shep, my opinion- Shep, you didn't like me to say I'm sad the whole episode? That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't good? No, that is the definition of doom and gloom. I'm going to be nothing but positive. Yeah, nothing I think but, you're, you're, I don't know anyone who would have something to, negative to say about this next story, because in my opinion, it's bigger than anything they announced last week, bigger than the redesigned interface. We've been waiting for them to allow advertisers to, to use LinkedIn targeting for Microsoft ads. I feel like since they acquired it <laughs> and now it is finally here, LinkedIn targeting can now be used in the U.S., Canada, United Kingdom, Australia, France, and Germany for search ads. So LinkedIn targeting can be added at the ad group or campaign level and can be applied to search, dynamic search, shopping, and audience campaign types. For now, advertisers have the option to select job function, industry, and company. And the company list isn't like exhaustive at this point. It's only a thousand, but I checked and it does include Google, and Google AdSense as employers. So I think that we should all like make campaigns, bid up on those audiences and just be like, hey, look what you're, we're using. We're using the platform that isn't hiding our data. What do you guys think? <laughs> I just hope they're searching on Bing or they're never gonna see that. They're probably, well, we've been talking about how good Edge is, they're all there. Mm. I, I mean, if, they're getting tricked into using Bing. If I worked at Google and saw what they do to people, I would never use Google as a search engine. Who would ever use that if you're an employee? I'd, I'd be duck, duck, go, bing, absolutely. No way. Yeah. Like, I know what I do to my customers. I don't want you doing this myself, <laughs> you know? So that's just a little bit of um, free advice for me. I think we should all do that. We have some other ways that you can take action coming up. But this but is actually awesome, Shep. I love this. Yeah. You are right. I am in a great mood. Love Microsoft <laughs> advertising. And it is currently limited to bid only, which is what Google calls observation. So you're not really targeting these audiences if you apply them to your search campaigns right now exclusively, but you can use bid adjustments and try to have your ads show more to these audiences, which is of course better than nothing. And no word on if they're gonna expand it to target and bid or like in Google ads, what you would call targeting but they have promised more targeting options. So maybe we'll get company size, education level, job experience, or any of the other targeting options they have on LinkedIn. I feel like the possibilities are endless. I'm just in such high spirits about this. All right, let's take the mood down a notch, I guess. Facebook is gonna be limiting the number of ads that a page can run starting in February of next year, 2021. And if you're wondering why I have my own theory, but in their announcement, Facebook said the following. When an advertiser runs too many ads at once, each ad delivers less often. This means that fewer ads exit the learning phase and more budget is spent before the delivery system can optimize performance. We discovered that four in 10 running ads fail to exit the learning phase, and many of these ads come from advertisers running too many ads at the same time. For this reason, we're implementing a limit on the number of ads each page can run at once. 
Okay. Uh, they also talk about how you don't need to create zillions of ads because you can use their machine learning driven products to deliver personalized optimized ads, aka their dynamic creative. So that's interesting. I, I like the angle they're coming from. Um, the limits, if you're wondering, they are based on advertiser size, which really just means how much that advertiser spent in their highest spending month over the last 12 months. And they provided a chart in their announcement that outlines the spend ranges that are associated with the different limits. So we'll have that in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it up on the screen. But nobody really has to worry too much, I don't think, because even the lowest limit for the smallest advertiser is 250, which is a lot of ads. I mean, we all run campaigns. Does anybody have more than 250 ads? No, not I. Yeah, me either. So hopefully nothing to worry about really for anybody. Um, and that's, so my theory is that Facebook knows that ads manager sucks and the limit is meant to lighten the load and make for a smoother experience. Cause in my experience, and we've talked about this recently on the show, we have a campaign that only has 16 ad sets and one ad per ad set and it wouldn't even load for like days. So 250 is quite a lot. And if they can handle that, hopefully they can handle my 16 and that'll be fixed up. So yeah. that's my conspiracy theory. I like that conspiracy theory. Right? I feel like it's, it, it, yeah, machine learning, yeah, optimization, all that. I'm sure that's part of it, but yeah, like your system doesn't even work. And we talked about this a little bit internally and when the news broke. And Jill from our team at Cypress North, hey girl, I know you're listening. She agreed. <laughs> she said, this is a quote, maybe, yeah, they're trying to get people to clean out the old stuff in their accounts, like your email address. And I'll tell you what, we've been hacking on Google a lot lately, but I checked, I have just under 111,000 unread emails and Gmail still loads lightning fast. So fix yourself, Facebook. Like, oh, <laughs> Terrible. What's wrong with you? I don't want to read them. Do you? Then delete oh them. Oh my God. That oh takes work. Gosh. I just let them pile up. It's fine. I know what I'm waiting for. It's coming to my inbox. I'll just look for Your it. Your email gives me anxiety. Do you have the notification, like the red thing that says they're all there on your phone? I did. I actually got rid of it. I turned off the, or I signed out of okay. the thing on my so phone. Okay. I don't even look at it. I have to, now if I want to use, well, my work email I have on my phone, but now my personal email, I have to be on a computer if I want to see it. Cause I just got those numbers out of my face. Cause they actually started to bother me and they hadn't for years, but. I, I like your conspiracy theory, Jess. My conspiracy theory is nobody, any of these major platforms actually uses the product, <laughs> right? If you were at Facebook and you had to use ads manager, you'd be like, oh, there's a problem. If you're at Twitter yes. and you're looking at this matching, you'd be like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? If you're Google and you're trying to trying to advertise well, you bet like, these search terms are helpful. <laughs> Nobody uses this. And they're just yeah. trying to, to, to shake as much money out as they can. Yep, either way, not good. Okay, well, something that may be good this political season comes from Rob Lethern. Did I do a good job? <laughs> Lethern. Lethern over at Facebook. And he put out a tweet saying, the ad library now supports the ability to filter ads by when they're active or at least delivering impressions. So you're going to be able to search for ads on a specific date to show everything that Biden or Trump was running on a specific day of the debates. And you'll also be able to search for all the ads in a date range, which is pretty cool. And you can also search for ads before a date range, or you can use different filters to combine by regions. So this is going to be really nice to actually have that transparency. A feature that's even nicer is something Twitter rolled out much earlier in the year where they didn't accept any political ads. 
this is nice to show when the ads occurred. And I went through and I just want to see what's happening in our region here in Buffalo. And I did a search, saw some folks running for a county commissioner. Didn't even know that was a thing. But then I saw Buffalo Wild Wings. Like oh, they had man. free delivery. I'm like, free delivery? Like even that could be politicized somehow. But no, I think I think a few ads were being pulled in the wrong way. But if you're a political junkie, if you want to see what's going on, if you've got some marketing, if, if you're doing marketing for a politician, this will help you get a full insight into not only the ads that were running, because before you could just see they're off, but you could see when they're on and when they started delivering those impressions. So at least there's a little bit more clarity around those political ads. I would say Buffalo Wild Wings are a political topic here because you're not supposed to go there if you live here. Mm, that's well, good. Well, yeah. Those are like the Buffalo Wings topic. of Ohio. Ouch. Wow. Well, that one <laughs> citizen uh, made it political last, yeah. last week or two weeks ago when he tried to get rid of the term boneless wings. And I think these them. are boneless wings in this picture. Don't they look yes. boneless? And Buffalo Wild Wings is all thirsty on Twitter responding to that guy being like, oh no, they're boneless. It's like, leave the guy alone. He's making <laughs> a joke. <laughs> they are. Man, shots fired. I don't eat them, so I don't know. Yeah, enjoy your cauliflower tots or whatever. <laughs> what do you eat? Tots. Uh, like buffalo cauliflower. I don't know what you call it. It's delicious. Like it, it doesn't taste like chicken, but if you like cauliflower and buffalo sauce, give it a try. I've, Wing it. I'm happy for you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. It's no LinkedIn targeting, but we have another update from Microsoft Advertising picture, if you will, a world where you can have not one, not two, not even three or four, but five images to supplement your search ads. You don't have to just imagine that anymore. Microsoft Advertising has announced the release of their multi-image ad extensions to all U.S. advertisers. So for advertisers looking to add visuals to their text ads, they'll now have the ability to choose between single or multi-image when setting up those extensions. So if you go multi on the desktop, the first three images will show up in a carousel with a button to advance. And then on mobile, you can just scroll through. It shows up one at a time and you can swipe. So with the new format, Microsoft also launched a way to easily preview what your images look like in the extensions, which is great because you want to see that before you put something out there. And then they reminded us that they have over 320 million high quality advertising ready images available via Shutterstock that you can use for free. But if you have your own images, highly recommend that you use those. Show us your product. And I love this. I think it's really great. But I don't know if you guys looked at the announcement itself. The featured image is a bunch of high school kids like looking really excited about something on the computer. Did you guys see this? Yeah. What are they doing? I, they're super enthused. I thought they were looking at like some sweet kicks or a TikTok or something, whatever the kids are into. But then like there's one paragraph of text and right below this image, it shows these kids are actually car shopping in the example. And in my mind, they're super jazzed about this like royal blue sprinter van. And they're just thinking about rolling up to school. Like this, these images are right next to each other. There's just a couple lines of text in between. So we're supposed to believe that those children are really excited about these cars. Also, yeah. like I don't work for Microsoft. We work for Cypress North, a much, much smaller company. And I would have a heart attack if somebody ever used this photo on <laughs> September 8th, 2020 with kids grouped together without a mask on, and this is your promotion for images? What, what kind of quality control is it? You know what? I appreciate it. They're putting all the resources into making Microsoft advertising better. I take it all back. You'll yeah. love to see it. 
they probably got this from Shutterstock for free. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's, like I said, it's a really cool feature. The example just doesn't really match the image, but it reminded me of my minivan that I drove in high school, which just brought back such fond memories of the Island Seal Grand Caravan that I drove. Did you guys have like a cool first car or am I the only one? You drove a minivan? I did, because my mom got a new minivan and so she just gave me her old one. <laughs> that is <laughs> so, so I drove fun. A minivan. Yeah, I could fit all my friends in it. My first car was a manual Ford Aerostar. You know, the ones that kind of look like it was a ramp on the front, just like straight down like a triangle. It was like a bus. It had this huge, you know, manual transmission. It's crazy. I just don't know cars. (laughs) What was your first car? Oh, I had a red punch bug and now I don't have it. And it's honestly still like a sore subject. Um, That was your first car? That's a legit car. I was a brat because my grandma, it was like your story, Jess, like my grandma got a new car and gave me her punch bug, but she kind of bought it with me in mind because I had a red Barbie punch bug when I was like nine. She was like, I'm going to get one of these now and then give it to you when you turn 16. I was such a brat. sweet. Um, But it was amazing. And it's just so my personality. And now I feel like nobody really knows me because I don't have that car anymore. You still drive a red car though, don't you? Or, or is it like a more of a crimson? Like it's your like a maroon. It's so adult, yeah. so boring. My old car color is called salsa red. Ooh. What do I have rude. now? I don't know. What do you have now? Like maroon, boring. Do you know the real color? It's probably got a much better name than that. <laughs> Not as fun as your minivan though. <laughs> it was cool. It was really cool back in the day. We spilled pool chlorine in it. It had like a bleached interior by accident. Like the windows weren't tinted. It had cool purple pinstripe on the side. I tried to find a picture of the actual van with me in it and I couldn't. So just Google searched it so you guys could see. <laughs> a beautiful car. If you want to see that, head on over to the Search Engine Journal YouTube channel. All right. Next up in the news this week, there was a petition by someone named Marketing O'Clock. Who's she? Uh, <laughs> it's pretty amazing because the petition over on change.org was for giving advertisers the ability to opt out of non-significant search terms in Google ads. So of course we were behind this and honestly, this change, as you've heard over the past two weeks, or I guess past one week and two episodes, it's it's not a positive change. And so we put together a petition saying that if Google is really trying to maintain standards of privacy and strengthen protections around user data, then we would not like to be included in that. So the petition that we put together was pretty simple. It obviously Google's made a decision not to to show search terms. Fine. Our petition is if there actually is a user privacy issue and protecting that data, let advertisers opt out of that. If you want to not show search terms, fine. Just let advertisers choose no, right? So we went through and said that the change is not acceptable. We need to know exactly what we're paying for. So we request full visibility for the terms we're advertising on in the last show that was the roundtable marketing a talk, I think went into this really well that Shep hosted. Then we went on to say, all right, no data, no impressions or clicks. If we can't see what a search term is, we do not want to appear for that query, receive that traffic or pay for the click. Pretty reasonable. Not telling them to roll everything back, just to opt out. And we cited a few different reasons for this. So first, we've talked about many times here is the close variant matching has gotten progressively worse. 
Mark had a couple of good examples in the aforementioned show, but they're matching more generously and putting brands next to terms that they might not want. That comes into the second point that you could then show up for sensitive or problematic queries and have your brand advertising on those terms. Thirdly is Google's response was that those terms we are no longer going to see could be violating standards of privacy and user data standards. If that's the case, I don't want to put my clients on there. If you are telling the truth, Google, and I don't think you are, I don't want my advertisers on things that are standards of privacy breaches. That should be number one, but it's the third thing that we said. And then lastly, if we're actually matching between broad, broad match modified phrase and exact, that will go a long way to help us allocate our budgets better. But that's sort of more of a greedy thing, but it's still something, there is no exact match anymore. In, in, in all serious, in the literal sense, there is no exact match anymore. So for those four main reasons, we graciously asked for the ability to opt out. Shep, did I, did I butcher that? What? No, I think that was good. I love the uh, addition of the word graciously. You know, it's just fair. I don't want to show up next to that stuff if you don't want to show it to me. Yes. And, and this is how I know that their excuse is complete BS. To say that we're not going to show you this because of, because of user data standards, you we need to opt out of that if that's the case. If you're putting our ads on something that violates user data, we need the ability to opt out of that. Am I crazy on this? Like that's, I, 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 I was awake in bed again last night thinking about this. This is what I do now. No, you're not crazy. I mean, I, I mean we've got at least 500 people who agree with us at this point. I know. So, and so I don't think we're crazy. We're 30 <laughs> hours into it. We've got 500 people agreeing with this. And it's very simple. Let us opt out. You don't want to show it because of the issues with your user data, this being compromised. I don't want to compromise user data. I want out of it. It's that simple. Let us out of it. And as Shep said, we've got 500 people already going on this. And if you listen to the show and you care about Google ads like we do, please sign the petition. I know it's probably not going to do anything, but I, I just don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. And then I, I, I sit awake at night and I think that we did this. I think that we did this. What? We put these articles out talking about the close variants and how they don't match well and how they're garbage and how you have things like produce showing up for production and how they drop the term software completely and change software with system and we're calling this out. And I think there's somebody over Google ads being like, oh yeah, this is pretty bad. Let's just hide it. it. Let's no. just hide it. No, That's let's hide it. Let's hide it. Okay, That's boom. terrible. It's I hidden. wasn't blaming myself, but now you're making me think <laughs> I should. <laughs> Well, anyway, it is free to support. Just sign the petition if you'd like. There's a whole, article, a whole, I don't know, a couple thousand words on there as to why this is not fair. And we'll just keep going here. I guess I broke my rule of staying positive here. But just a few other good points from around the past week on this topic. So Azim at Azim Digital on Twitter said a quote from Julie Baccini on our marketing clock show. And she said, there's no reason not to share what that threshold is. Is significant more than two or more than 20? 
And then James Hebden at JP Hebden on Twitter said, sure, there's a reason. If Google keeps it vague, then they can't be called out for further limiting it over time, which is exactly what they're going to do. Google Ads is heading towards a black box where everyone's budgets are efficiently exhausted and you can't opt out of anything. Terrifying. That's really scary, but also probably true. That's why, that, this is why I'm so fired up about these things is because you see, I see the, the, I can see through it. And you see with the Google partners changes, they are tr- back, what now, seven months ago, eight months ago, they had had the partners changes that were supposed to be rolled out back in March, where if you want to be a Google partner and you want to keep your badge, you have to do all their bidding for them and hit a certain number. They didn't tell the number at first. They came out with the number afterwards and said, you have to hit a 70% threshold score. But I don't care about that because you make the score up. If for all of a sudden you say, I want maximized clicks to be 71% of the overall score, then you have to hit that. And James is spot on with this. If you say it's significant, you can say, well, yeah, yeah, it's significant now. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, not down the road. No, significant is is a percentage. It's it's it. Anything under sixty percent of your traffic isn't going to be shown. So, okay, let's keep it positive here. Mark Gustafson at Mark P Gus on Twitter had a different thought, and he said, "I believe that this talking about Facebook and limiting the number of ads, and the Google query visibility is more about them saving server costs than anything." and they're just making up a BS reason for it. They're still trying to clean up that cost on the balance sheet, IMO, still messed up. That'd be nice. I, Interesting I, theory. I feel at peace with that, but <laughs> I don't think it is because of close variance. And, and if it wasn't for the close variance, matching on the farthest things from being close, then I would be with them, but it, they're hiding close variance. I said it. All right, so as Shep talked about before, we had our voicemail lineup and we had Kirk, PPC Kirk on Twitter and Sam at Digital Sam I am on Twitter. Leave us a voicemail, but they left us four and three respectively. <laughs> so I edited Kirk's, but Sam left three of them right before we started recording here. So we're gonna go through Kirk's and Kirk said not to take it out of context. So we're gonna play Kirk's and take it completely out of context. So here we go. And t- <laughs> wave your hand and I'll pause it and we can talk about it. So here comes Kirk at PPC Kirk on Twitter. Hey, so PPC Kirk here. Uh, so thinking about the Google search terms, the first thing I wanna think about is privacy. So Google claims that this is because of privacy. I actually don't think that that's, that's totally unfounded to be honest. And I'm going to pause it for a second. Kirk had a post on Medium, and he gave a f- couple examples of this where he talked about somebody being potentially identified because they had peanut butter in their nose, and that it could be personally identifiable information. Um, and we'll put a link over in the show notes at marketingclock.com if you want to read his full argument. I know he's got a limited time here. Everything that Google does has them thinking about how they can get sued and them trying not to get sued. They hate to get sued. They, they, they really do. They hate to get sued. I truly think that there are ways that search terms can reveal um, certain aspects of an individual, especially in uh, small doses, in small geographical locations, and uh, you know you get enough of a political aspect to it, or religious, or all of the different diversity type ways. Um, I, I think there is an, a possibility of litigation against Google, and they don't want that. So I don't think it's totally unfounded. 
See, th- that's so like put rules in place for like do what everyone's doing on the display end and exclude it for certain categories, limit it for certain categories. I, I've just never seen anything personally identifiable. Maybe I'm like too good of a person and I'm just not thinking shady thought- thoughts when I'm looking at the search terms report. Yeah, right. but there's nothing in there. And you never saw 100%. You'd see like 98, 99. They were already stripping anything that's actually uh, personally identifiable information. Kirk's example with the peanut butter, it's not personally identifiable. And when it comes to a lawsuit, that's, that's where it gets really fuzzy to me because I don't know how you have grounds for a lawsuit. And I'm just going to keep using Kirk's example because you were on a post about it, that somehow my search about peanut butter in my nose makes it to an advertiser. And then somehow an advertiser, because I clicked on an ad after searching for peanut butter in my nose on Google, and then an advertiser finds it, finds me. And like, it, it seems like a lot of a stretch there, in my opinion. The main issues, what are the main issues with the Google search terms changes? Uh, the first one I mentioned was the transparency thing. The second one, and I, I've not heard a lot of people bring this up, but I actually think it's kind of significant. Um, I'm sure Google has their butts covered here legally, but I, I actually see this as changing a paid agreement, like in the middle of an agreement that only one party has agreed to change. <laughs> so um, someone on LinkedIn used noted it as it's like an itemized bill um, where all of a sudden half of that bill is blanked out in terms of what you're actually paying for and you don't get to see what you're actually paying for. I, I get what he's saying there, but I'm sure with all their legalese, <laughs> again, advertisers <laughs> have no ground for that. Yeah. I That was one of the hardest parts about the news though. Like even when the, they announced the partners changes, they didn't say when they, or they weren't going into place right away. And this was like, Hey, the dad is gone. Yeah. It's not there. Take it and enjoy it. Yeah. You have no data. <laughs> now, at some point, we agreed to advertise with Google under a certain idea of what data we are receiving, and that has changed without our agreement, and that has concerned me. It concerns us as well, and we are, gonna, we are going to help turn this podcast into a, how, how to – advertise and grow and thrive and succeed without Google ads. That, that's what it's become. They're so aggressive towards their advertisers and they have so much disdain towards people giving them money. That's fine. We're going to help people succeed without Google ads. I see kind of a main issue here as, as being twofold. Um, so with this change, I see a couple of things. First, there's a, there's an, a, a continued um, move by Google in limiting both their communication and their their transparency to agencies and and partners using terms like significant rather than just giving us what the amount is like the the amount is a hard number it's not like they're changing it every other day right so why don't they communicate that they don't communicate that because they they don't see us as partners again i take a little bit of umbrage with that because i'm guessing they're going to remove 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 and while removing, expand, 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 close variance. So at some point, it's a number, and then at some point, that number is going to go up, just like James said. They, they see themselves as this kind of monarchy of which we are all um, kind of the, the, the loyal servants. Um, and, and so I, I think that obviously has significant problems. Thought number four. I will never be a loyal servant. 
<laughs> so we talked before about in terms of transparency and how Google communicates and in some ways it it's them communicating as if they are this like reigning monarchy, right? Um, what, what that means to me is that even though they will never admit it, is that they see themselves more and more in terms of a monopoly. They're, they're basically engaged in and acting as if uh, they answer to no one. And that's how they're communicating. And unfortunately, about the only way that you, you break up that sort of power um, is not by asking them to stop. Unfortunately, it's, it's by forcing them to break break up that power, right? Is actually forcing that power to break up. And so the only way I see out of kind of this trend that we see of Google making these major decisions is unfortunately some sort of deep pocket suing them, FTC, something like that. It's unfortunate. I think we're at that crossroads. I heard what he said there. But what I'm going to take from that is our petition's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> And that was it from Kirk. Again, this is the last time there's going to be any voicemail over a minute long. And I will finish this off here just because people really are upset about it. So after it's been another, say, two weeks since we've had the search term report change from Google, we've been going through and seeing how it's impacting our client accounts. And really what we've seen is a couple of things. Number one, for smaller clients, they're being disproportionately impacted. We're seeing anywhere from a 20% to up to a 60 or 70% decline. And number two, as we start to look at this in totality with Google's changes to matching, to search query reports, pushing automation, optimization scores, the picture becomes increasingly clear of a company that's hell-bent on punishing advertisers, maximizing profits, and really limiting control of campaigns, which you know really does fit with Google's kind of end game of cutting out agencies and going direct to clients to own those relationships. It's not good for advertisers and the only person that really benefits. Well, Sam got cut off there because he went over the limit, but we've got another one. And <laughs> just a quick disclaimer, Sam, I think is one of the brightest minds on this and is so intelligent in the ways. And I believe that both Kirk and Sam were on Edge of the Web podcast. Again, I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to hear more. But here's Sam's second message to us. The really shocking thing about Google's series of changes that they've made over the past, call it, say, six months to a year, going back to query matching and then the latest um, the optimization score push and then this latest search term change is the blatant disregard for the needs and the wants of advertisers and this insistence that their technology is always right and that the, their machine learning is good enough. and. Honestly, there's no demonstrable evidence of that. And even organic search in the B2B space, for instance, is flawed. So Google really doesn't have a better solution. So what they're doing is using monopoly power, which they have, to push their only solution and mandate adoption or else. It's unethical, it's horrible, and it results in worse outcomes for all involved except Google. And that's unacceptable. I agree. It's really sad. It's hard to argue with him. It, I know. He's doing, yeah. He's keeping his composure really well for his angry, as you can tell he is, right? Sam is great. He's really great. But you all run a lot of experiments. Let's say target return on ad spend or maximize conversion value. 
what percentage can beat what you can do with CPC or eCPC? I'm not good with percentages off the top of my head, but not a lot. Uh, yeah. It's probably 50-50. Yeah, like it, it really it depends on what the product is and everything like that. But there's, I'm never surprised if CPC wins. Yeah. Into Sam's. And then the other side of me is like, what kind of moron would just trust Google and their machine learning? You know that they're making money off of you. They're going to do this, turn everything machine learning, put everybody bidding on the same terms against each other, raising the bids up and just being more evil. Like, why would you trust the person you're paying to make you do better? They're going to make them do better. Mm -hmm. And what he said about the queries being hidden disproportionately affecting smaller advertisers. And it is. Those are also the advertisers that the automation never works for like mm-hmm. CPC is always going to win. Yeah. The and ones it's, who smart campaigns are recommended for, by yeah. the way. Yeah. And so B2B, especially too, as Melissa Mackey would say, it's, it, there's not, there's none of that. Do you guys want to hear, hear Sam's last message? Yeah. Okay. Last one. So the, the privacy concern that Google raises as the justification for eliminating low-volume searches. Number one, it seems like it's an awfully convenient excuse with Google saying, give me all of your data and I'm going to take it, and then I'm going to protect your privacy. No one trusts them to do that. Number two, the privacy concern has been around for a while, GDPR has been around for a while, and it's never been raised before, so why now? Seems convenient. And number three, and I think the most critical point is, if you're so concerned with privacy, then the easiest solution is allowed advertisers to opt out of purchasing a thing they don't want or can't get data on. And those advertisers that do want it can opt in. But Google's not doing that. They are literally taking all of the data and just not giving it to advertisers who could then use it to work better for clients. Retweet. Dropping that mic. <laughs> and so that, that is one of the reasons why in the petition that started this whole news cycle here, all we asked for is the ability to opt out. Not to reverse this, not to go back, but if there is such a privacy issue with user data, let us opt out. That's your excuse? Fine. Live with it and let us get out of there because that is a terrible excuse and it's just not, it's just not part of reality. It's just not. So please head on over to the change.org petition, go to marketingclock.com to find that, sign it if you agree and share it. And let's see if at least it can't be overturned. Maybe we can be able to opt out as Sam so clearly stated. Now it's time for this week's take of the week. This is a hashtag fire digital marketing take with extra spice served up for you. We simply deliver the take for your consumption. We give no opinions, we don't influence. So Michelle says, auditing an account and the last change made was June 9th. What in the actual heck, I changed that, is wrong with you? How can you justify calling yourself an agency and sending a monthly bill? Quit hacking me off and do better. (laughs) And then she (laughs) followed up and said, this is why agencies get a bad rap. Too many out there just stealing money from people for doing literally nothing. 
Then when they come back to us, we have to act as therapists and coach back to a healthy relationship with an agency. It's exhausting. Is that what you do? Snaps? Snaps? Is that a thing? <laughs> that's what they do in Legally Blonde. Yeah, that's a great take. I mean, yeah. Just do your job. That is so sad. And now it's time for this week's I See Why Am I. This is something you just might not have seen. Maybe something that you overlooked. But you shouldn't have. I see why am I people, Amy Middleton Hepton at Amy PPC on Twitter. She tweeted, Dear Google Ads, you know that YouTube is a search engine for videos, not websites, right? It looks like you may have become a little confused. And she has an example. This is something that I've been seeing a lot lately, but I just can never get it to work when I have like an actual good example. But she ha- she's searching on YouTube and there's a bunch of like text ads above the YouTube search results. It's four of them. A lot of times when I see it, it's like everything above the fold is a text ad. It's very strange. And I would have tweeted this, but I'm just looking up like chiropractic adjustment compilations and I'm just like a little embarrassed and I don't want people to see that I'm looking that up. You um, just told everyone anyway. Yeah. So I, that's the only reason, but I want to know what's happening here. And they're like, real, they're not normal text ads. They're like really long descriptions. They must be dynamic somehow. I don't get it. What's happening. And I saw it once, you know, we were all home during the pandemic. Nobody could go to church. I looked up Sunday mass and there were four ads above it. Like that's bad. But, but Shep, you'll get an extra 41% to your optimization score if you use search partners. It's terrible. It's terrible. Criminal. Now it's time for this week's lightning round. Pew, pew. At this point in the show, we split up our content into three parts. Paid, organic, and social. First up in the paid universe this week, 21 got another one from at Stephen Johns 21 on Twitter. He says, Google adds new extension summary tab and dynamic image extensions opt-in. Anyone accepted yet? So the dynamic image extensions like scan your website and pull in images automatically, I will not be opting in. I don't know about you guys. Just doesn't sound great to me. Nope. No, thanks. (laughs) Next up, Google Tag Manager has a new option for advertisers called Consent Mode, which allows you to update Google Tag behavior based on user consent selection. This is pretty cool. When used, Google Tags will be able to determine whether or not permission has been given for your site to use cookies for advertising purposes for that individual user. So for example, the user consents to cookies on your site, conversion measurement reporting continues normally, but if the user doesn't consent, the relevant Google tags will adjust accordingly and not use ads cookies. Instead measuring conversions at an aggregate level, they say. So it also works with GA, which is great. If someone opts into cookies, analytics will not read or write ads and cookies and things like remarketing will be disabled, which is- It's almost like they should have a consent mode for giving your search query data to advertisers. Totally. That'd be nice. I don't want to see ads for irrelevant things. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. So I understand if you want to opt out of cookies. Um, I personally went to Trader Joe's this week and they had these delicious mini apple cider cookies and I'll be buying them all fall. And next up from Tim Holleran at Tim Holleran on Twitter, he said, in my nine years running Facebook ads, I've never seen so many false positives, ad disapprovals, consent UI issues, or analytics bugs crop up. 
it is a constant state of frustration with this platform lately, having an A-plus agency rep being the exception to the rule. Scared for Q4. I am so glad it is not just us. Things seem so bad in there lately. So bad. The Worse disapprovals are out of control. Like me and Jess are just talking about it every day. It's Terrible. almost like they should have blocked all these political ads. Yeah. Mm, criminal. Get rid of them. And next up, we reported on Quora's new lead gem forms for B2B advertisers. At some point, I, I was I was in this house. It wasn't it was in the last six months. And now they can be used with Quora's promoted answers ad unit. So go crazy. Answer those questions. <laughs> and from Ben Fisher at Jimmy Fish UK on Twitter, he says now Whoa, 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 whoa. How dare you besmirch his Twitter handle like that? Oh, Jim. Jimin Fish UK. I'm sorry. Jimin Fish. Jamin. He's Jamin Fish. Ben UK. and Jimmy. That doesn't even. <laughs> I feel like we need to show an eye doctor me recording this show. Anyway, Jamin Fish UK. That was right? Yeah. He <laughs> says now Google is insisting on controlling the wording of promos on Google Shopping. And he has an example of like a little promotion extension in here. And it says in parentheses underneath modified by Google, like, thanks. No, thanks. I hope Just you're giving a it. discount. <laughs> like, I hope Google yeah. re reimbursing this promotional discount. What did they modify? That's what I want to know. What is this supposed to say? Oh, it's just a little screenshot. We'll have to look for it in our accounts and hope we don't see it. Talk to Benjamin, <laughs> Jimmy Jammet fish over there. <laughs> And finally, from Andrea Cruz at Andrea Cruz92 on Twitter. She was on our special roundtable last week. She has some LinkedIn insights to share now. She says LinkedIn ads modifies the bidding section and updates the name slightly with explanations. So she acts like this is like a small thing. But I was going back and forth with Mark today. It was this is big. Like we're trying to figure out how it used to be. It's very, very different. All the bid options are now laid out here instead of the checkbox, which is super nice. They're calling automated delivery maximum delivery, which is very strange to me. You used to be able to specify if you wanted enhanced CPC or manual CPC, and now you can only pick manual, but it's actually enhanced. Does that make sense? No, that it's doesn't what, make sense. No. It's what you think of as enhanced <laughs> CPC. There is no manual CPC, but you're gonna click the manual box. And the bid strategies you choose from vary depending on the optimization goal you choose. So it would take forever to kind of go through all the options here, but be prepared to troubleshoot if you're setting up new campaigns. It's very different. And they also have these nice little explanations of all the optimization goals if you have over them. So good eye, Andrea. Thank you for sharing. And we're going to close out paid here with our new little segment. It's called Beyond Google Ads because you know what, guys? Google Ads doesn't like you. But we do. We do, we really do. So we have a little LinkedIn ads tip here from our very own Mark Saltarelli from our team at Cypress North. New matching criteria on Google has made it even more difficult for B2B SaaS marketers to generate qualified leads. Close variant matching often swaps the word software from your keyword for lower intent modifiers like system, solution, or tool, or even drops the modifier entirely, making advertisers pay for unwanted top of funnel traffic. If you're looking to take your SaaS advertising beyond Google in light of recent changes, give LinkedIn skills targeting a try. 
target people with specific software categories or companies listed as skills on their profile in order to reach people who are generally within your target market, who fall within your competitor's user base, or who use softwares that integrate well with your product. For example, if you sell marketing automation software, you can target marketing automation as a general categorical skill, HubSpot and Marketo as competitors, or standalone CRMs without marketing automation, like Salesforce or Pipedrive, as products that integrate well with yours. Combine LinkedIn skills targeting with job title or job function and job seniority targeting to make sure that you reach key decision makers. With the right combination of targeting and creative, you can use LinkedIn skills to drive both top of the funnel or bottom of the funnel leads. Great tip there. If you've had it with Google and you wanna shift away, your team paid, but you wanna shift away to another platform, check out LinkedIn, follow Mark. He's at Mark underscore from underscore MKTG on Twitter and follow at Andrea Cruz 92. She has some great tips as well. Yeah, and so, this would be something we're gonna do regularly here, right, Shep? Yes. We're going to share tips from other platforms. And if y'all like it, send us a voicemail, call.marketingclock.com, and maybe we'll even turn it into a larger show. That is it for paid. What's happening in organic? Well, first up from Sajo George at S-A-I-J-O George on Twitter. He is currently at Supple Digital, and he runs TLDR Marketing, I believe, which is a really nice source. It's gets stories, condenses them, and lets you know what actually matters. So you don't even need this podcast anymore. So Sajio got an email from the PAN team on Google. And PAN is the Google Podcast and Audio News. So that is an official Google team. And they said that, and I will quote the actual article itself, that this means that the previous speakable markup solution is obsolete and no longer necessary when a question was asked about speakable markup. So Sajo asked John Mueller on the Webmaster Hangouts time, I believe, or maybe it was Jeremy Weiler at Jay Weiler on Twitter. And he asked if that was correct. And John Mueller said, speakable markup is not obsolete. That email was unfortunately phrased. We've been following up internally to make this all a bit clearer. The markup is certainly still useful. So if you got an email from Pan saying to not use speakable markup, which is supposed to be truncated versions of content that can be read aloud by your Google Assistant, basically, or Alexa or something like that. Don't listen to your emails from Google Podcast and Audible News or whatever it's called, <laughs> audio news. And also, can't you just say that's wrong? They were wrong. It's weird to be like, unfortunately phrased? <laughs> that wasn't unfortunately phrased. That was they like lied. clear as day. Speakable markup solution is obsolete and no longer necessary? That's wrong. Again, nobody could say that though over there because then you'd have to admit, then it would cause a whole problem. So whatever. If you saw this, or you got this email, don't give up on speakable markup. I'll say it, Pan was wrong. All right, next up from power listener of the show, Christoph Trapp on Twitter. I believe he's a power listener. Maybe he can let us know. But I saw a tweet from him about a week ago saying that Amazon Music is adding podcasts. Smart move. Now, how do I get mine added? I'll fig if I figure it out, I'll be sure to blog about it. So I got the email about getting marketing clock on there. 
and it will get your podcast if you have a podcast on both Amazon Music, which is the official streaming platform for Music of Marketing Clock, because you all are Amazon Music fans, no. right? No. But you, you don't get, get to say that. <laughs> it's the unofficial <laughs> official of Greg. How about that? Okay. There you go. That's fine. You can get your podcast on Amazon Music and Audible. So everybody's running towards podcasts, and obviously Spotify has taken a big jump here this past a few months with Michelle Obama and Joe Rogan and all that. And now Amazon's trying to get in the mix with Audible and Amazon. If you want it, I have a link. It's supposed to be dedicated to marketing clock. It's got all kind of special characters, but I tried it. We already did it and it works. So we'll just share it on marketing clock and you can get your podcast over on Amazon music and Audible. We're here for you people. All right, next up, Apple has made a change to the smart app banners when you do a news search. So if you're searching for, a topic and let's say variety.com is displayed and you are on iOS 13, a new smart app banner will allow the user to open it in Apple News Plus. And I hate this. You're on Variety and you're trying to commandeer their traffic over to your Apple Plus News app. This is this is just why people hate these big companies. Yeah. I yeah, I'm already here. Those- Marty I news. never open those Apple News links. It's it's. I've just, heard they're like impossible to share if you try to send them to other people too. Well, that's useful. Yeah, like figure it out. And you're in the example. They're on Variety.com, and they're trying to kick them off Variety over to Apple News. It's 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 shameful. It's shameful. And I mean, all these all these large companies are just in it for the next next quarter earnings. It's sad. Next up, let's keep it sad here. Let's keep it super sad <laughs> because this came out and we actually missed covering this the last week. It came out the exact time of recording the week before. According to North Star Inbound and Nicole DeLeon, more than 70% of SEOs in the US are men and they make more than female colleagues. So there was a study. It wasn't the largest sample size. It was 652 SEOs that North Star Inbound had queried the link is northstarinbound.com for it's a state of SEO survey. There are dashes in between and marketing clock if you want to see it in the show notes. So 68.4% of the respondents were men, 29.3 were women. And there was a pay gap and it was about 14% between men and women. And it also turned out the men were more likely to occupy senior roles in agencies. Um, some actual... Um, staggering numbers as well. I mean, 14% is is pretty staggering, Mm -hmm. but the men were charging 67% more, which is crazy. That's that I looked at that. My, I copied this down wrong, but no, I guess men are charging on a per project basis, 67% more. And I, I'm very curious as to this, but male freelancers reported a median of $5,000 versus $3,000 for female identifying SEOs. And this is where I start questioning it is the disparity was even greater for agencies charging by project. $8,750 per project for men and $2,250 for women. So women freelancers charge more than women eight i i just don't get that discrepancy is absolutely insane yeah that's really i can't even wrap my head around that that's you're charging six thousand five hundred dollars less 
that's and then I don't get is it women led agencies and is it just a maybe a really small sample size or is it women on the I, there wasn't a ton of information yeah. on there yeah I feel like we need more we need yeah. more. or like at our agency a lot of times it's like a team of multiple people it's very rare that there's one person working on a project so how would you determine that yeah right. and are these the same types of projects like what are you doing and we need more info <laughs> Yeah, um, but anyway, that's that that's sad to see. And if you want to find out more and you want to be involved in this conversation, which is a pretty heavy, pretty important conversation, the phenomenal Ginny Marvin over at Search Engine Land today, Friday, the eleventh, has a panel with Nicole from North Star Inbound, Aleda Solis, a fave here on the show, from Ortolani and Amanda Jordan over at the locomotive agency Choo Choo. And you can jump in and ask questions live at 1 p.m. Eastern today, the 11th only. Okay, next up. This is a conspiracy theory, and it starts with Zach James on Twitter, and it really comes from Brody Fox. But apparently, they uncovered the fact that Google is, well, YouTube is using your Google activity to recommend videos. He put that tweet out the next day. Google added that in, which is super shady. <laughs> so they said, now YouTube uses data from your Google account activity to influence your recommendations because their recommendations have dropped off and went up and they went, it, it's a whole tweet thread. And in this case, Zach James found it out. Check it out. It is fascinating if you are interested in this kind of stuff. Maybe right, it was nice. in there. It was just unfortunately phrased before. <laughs> by unfortunately you mean missing sure at least, at least at least that makes sense other than being like as definitive as possible like whatever so next up from jake archibald a vif has landed and it's a new way to display high-res image at a very low size don't so you using, think it's a vif it's a vif a vif well, AVIF, AVIF, AVIF is about a quarter of what a JPEG sizing is. Not everybody supports AVIF, and you'll have to find out for your own. Next up, and this comes from Glenn Gabe, at Glenn Gabe on Twitter, BFF of the show. And I was going to make a fancy headline, but Glenn did it already, of course. Tabula and Outbrain couldn't decide on terms for the merger, and Glenn said... Outbula won't happen. They couldn't agree on the headline. That's a good joke. How are <laughs> so they're, not too, yeah. they're not merging. They're done. What? I was going to say, Tabula wanted to merge with Outbrain. Guess what happens next? <laughs> You'll never Do this know. daily. It fails. Even if you click. All right. And then from Search Engine Journal, there is a new robots.txt tester for Bing. Head on over to the show notes to check it out over from Barry Schwartz on seroundtable.com. He has an uh, article called SEO Companies Can Sabotage Your Website and Maps Listing. And it has just a joyous little picture of a barn burning down <laughs> and the Google logo there. I don't know how it gets away with that. But anyway, somebody had gone through and removed via Search Console a certain site some SEO company did it to their client. Okay, next up, the Google URL parameter tool upgrade will be really cool when migrated to new Search Console. This also comes to Barry Schwartz over at seroundtable.com. And the, the URL parameter tool is actually really helpful. You can help fix duplicate 
content issues if there's parameters that dictate color or something like that. Um, and you can also block specific parameters from showing. So there sounds like there might be a new one coming. We'll be excited when that happens. We're gonna keep it over with Barry Schwartz. And he has another <laughs> post saying, Google, it's unlikely core web vitals will become the primary ranking factor. In case you don't know, Core Web Vitals are the largest contentful paint, the first input delay, and the cumulative layout shift. They're the things that help sites load fast and effectively. No hack. That's not going to be the, ma the major ranking factor. Like, what would you do? You fast pages? That's not the fastest page. I don't get care what it says. Get those on there. Yeah. Give me the fast. Yeah, get those events. That's the fastest page possible. That's what I want. Okay. And on a video on YouTube. There's a new Google Finance. So if you're in the finance sector, it's something to take a look at. In case you don't recall, Google Finance used to be a thing in 2017. They crushed it. They took out portfolios. They said, go over to Yahoo and basically killed the entire thing and made it a new site. Now they've got watch lists back again and you can add things to watch lists until they kill it off again. So don't use Google Finance, but there's a new one out there if you want it. And lastly, Google tells employees to take Friday off last week as a collective well-being holiday during the pandemic. Oh, they were just all recovering from your marketing talk, Shep. Yeah. How about you take a Friday off to stop f***ing over your advertiser and shaking every nickel out of our pockets? How about that? That's it for Organic Chess. What's happening in social? Oh, okay. One of my favorite things about Pinterest is how non-Pinteresty their updates are, right? Because Pinterest is lovely and fluffy and made for people like you and me. And they do things like sharing the formulas to their algorithms. So they've done it again. They released their latest ranking system overview and they talked about nodes and framework and all sorts of things I don't understand, but it doesn't matter because Andrew Hutchinson at Social Media Today laid it all out for us. He read it. And the non-technical takeaway from this is Pinterest has really improved their ability to recommend relevant content to users, which is awesome, particularly in the home feed where most ads are shown and video is continuing to be prioritized, which we knew. So all great things. If you like technical speak, check out that. Uh, it's like the Pinterest engineering blog or something where they released that, which I didn't even know was a thing. Next up, Instagram has some relevant content it wants you to see too. Users have reported seeing a carousel of suggested reels between posts in their main feed, which is a smart move if they're still trying to make reels happen because I don't know about you guys, but I already forgot about them. I get the worst recommendations. It's who do they think I am? I, do they think you're on TikTok? I really can't even talk about it. It's these young girls with very low self-esteem and somebody needs to have an intervention with them. Didn't you talk about them last week and then you felt bad about it and now you're just... Yeah, but I'm, I'm making a point to not cl click or support this, and they just keep recommending them to me, and I don't understand. Good. Well, it doesn't matter because uh, people are still using TikTok. Apparently, the August data is in, and TikTok was once again the most downloaded non-game app worldwide. So Reels and Instagram and your poor self-esteem girls can take a backseat. Speaking of TikTok, there's a new feature that will let users reuse pieces of other people's videos and their own content. TikTok says like duet stitch, which is the name of the feature, is a way to reinterpret and add to another user's content, building on their stories, tutorials, recipes, math lessons, and more. And I just love that they think people are doing math lessons on TikTok and somebody's going to change it. Like one plus one is remix three. Like stay in school, kids. Wow. 
don't mess with math. It is what it is. Next up, a technical issue, as Facebook is calling it, caused ads to be displayed on several news publisher sites that don't run ads. That's, That's nice. Yeah, right? People are just doing whatever they want these days. It's terrible. It's terrible. And Facebook has since resolved the problem and apologized for the inconvenience. Oh, thanks. So, that's nice. <laughs> Another Facebook news we talked last week about getting more personalized content in Facebook Watch using topics. So they have even more features now. They have a new section dedicated to live videos specifically, and they also have a new music destination that was previously, I think, in the Philippines. I could be wrong about that. But now it is launched in the US and India too. More importantly for marketers, Facebook said, we are in the early stages of rolling out a new organic video post testing tool to help partners A-B test aspects of a post, including thumbnails, tiles, descriptions, and video content so they can better determine what works best for their audience, which is great to see. But if the tool is clunky, they might limit the amount of videos that your page can post. Just saying. Next, from The Verge, a new test lets some people view Instagram stories directly through Facebook, which is cool, I guess, but the caveat is that only people who follow you on Instagram will be able to see your Instagram stories on Facebook. So if you're like me and you're just sharing to Facebook for your mom who doesn't know what an Instagram is, you're going to have to keep doing that for now, but she's your mother. She's done a lot for you. So. <laughs> All right, keeping it with the stories theme here, LinkedIn is testing the ability to add links in stories on their platform, which would be a welcome feature, I guess, if anybody really cared about LinkedIn stories, but I'm not sure that anyone does. So I asked our two resident LinkedIners here that are the most pro LinkedIners, which is Mark and Jill on our team. Hmm. I said, do you guys use LinkedIn stories? The answers were phenomenal. They're like, what is LinkedIn stories? I'm checking now to find out about LinkedIn stories. I can't find LinkedIn stories. No, we don't use LinkedIn stories. Yeah, we're terrible. Well, if you can't find it, a link in there is useless. So good job, LinkedIn. All right, something people do care about, I think, how Facebook is verifying advertisers on their platforms, who the advertisers tend to be, and where the whole thing is going in the future. And that's according to a recent post on Medium by Facebook's own Rob Leathern. So he covers a lot of ground in his post, and you can read it if you want. It's kind of fluffy, but the key takeaways are that they focus a lot on verifying political advertisers, which we know, and pages that they think are trying to mislead people, which we talked about a while back. Um, they use a lot of different criteria to verify people and organizations. They're aware of difficulties and frustrations, particularly for small businesses that are trying to get through the process, and they're working on it. And of course, they are always looking to improve and would love to hear from you if you're an advertiser or an identity vendor. So that's you. Check it out. And lastly, from BFF of the show, Glenn Gabe, that's at Glenn Gabe with two N's on Twitter. Facebook is launching Campus, which is a new section of the main Facebook app just for college students. So if you're old like me, you remember a time when you couldn't wait for that .edu email address. You could actually sign up for Facebook and be like all the cool kids. Oh my but God, now, yeah, that was a thing. That was a thing. I had to be on like MySpace until I was in college. You're young, Shep. To be to be fair, I bet you've rocked MySpace. I did. I, oh, I yeah. had a really cool page. Thank you. I'd love I had to see like it. the fun Auto selfie music. angles. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. All yeah, all good. And I didn't have Tom in my top friends or whatever. I had other celebrities. <laughs> Anyway, so this is um, an exclusive club, if you will, for college kids. So if you're a college student, it's a limited pilot for only 30 universities. But if you are part of one of those universities, you can interact on campus with other students only from your own school. 
but features include a campus-only news feed, events and group chats, and a campus directory so you can find and friend other students, which is nice. I don't think there's a lot of kids on Facebook right yeah, now. Yeah, there's not. They actively, have, right? they have to get, this is just a way to make people's teachers make them join Facebook. It's sad. Yeah, that or they're just trying to get them back on the platform, which I guess would be great for us advertisers, but I, they have to hear about it first, right? So Rob Leather and I, I know you love to tweet, but maybe make a TikTok. Tell the kids to get on campus. And that brings us to our real life segment, straight out of our accounts and into your ear holes. It's time for Working Hard or Hardly Working, where we talk about what's going on in our IRL work, good, bad, or otherwise. So I know I've been complaining a lot about Facebook and I, I'm not taking any of that away. They have like really dumb disapprovals that are happening to our clients for absolutely no reason. But I will say that I like the chat feature this is always painful for me to say something nice about them. I like the chat feature with support and you can tell when you're talking to a real person and when you are, they can usually resolve things for you really quickly. So thank you, Facebook. I've had a couple of good experiences over the past couple of weeks. I'm in the middle of one now and I'm really worried I'm jinxing myself. So let's just pretend I didn't say anything. I've knocked on all the wood around. What about you, Jess? <laughs> Mine's a quickie. I just don't think we've talked about it before. The Fireshot Chrome extension. We have a client who everything that we do has to run through legal approval, including like PDFs of entire web pages. If we're sending like an ad somewhere, they want to see the landing page or even a site link. They want to know where folks are being sent. So Fireshot is a really awesome Chrome extension that we use that literally screenshots the entire page for you. You don't have to scroll. You do nothing. It does it for you. And then you can export it as a PDF. So it's been really, really helpful. We've been using it a lot lately with this client. So if you didn't know about it and you need a solution for screenshotting a whole web page, Fireshot's your guy. What about you, Greg? And for me, we set up this change.org petition. And there's this one thing I loved. When you go through and you set it up, it'll show the numbers of people that have signed the petition and it inches it up. And there's the actual number it goes to, but it starts much lower and then inches it up to try to get people, entice people to click. So when you go and when you all listening right now, sign that petition, cool, change.org. Now it's time for this week's WTH. Misguided. I'm like, who does that? <laughs> Just get rid of it. I'm over it. Where we rant, rave, and roll our eyes about a trending digital marketing topic. What are we coming to? Honestly. See what had us asking. W-T-H. This week. This week's WTH comes to us from the Honey House. <laughs> at Honey House on TikTok. And they put out this behind the scenes video of what goes on behind the scenes every day in their quote, adult, adult TikTok house. Ew. I think adult is like a very loose term here. And I watched this three times and had to send it to a few different people because I truly thought this was a joke. I thought these were a bunch of adults who just like watch TikTok videos. They were making fun of the kids. They would never leave. An it seems like a joke, but we saw it shared by Jack Wagner at Jack D. Wagner, and it's this guy filming. He says, you know, everyone's asking us what goes on day to day in your, your honey house. What is everyone's job? Because all these people are apparently living together in this house. And he goes through, he's filming all of his friends. He's like, first of all, none of the men have their shirts on. It's just so stupid. I really can't handle it. He says, Sam is filming workouts for her YouTube channel. Um, cause she's apparently an influencer on YouTube. 
Nick works for a big time agency. Like how embarrassing to say big time in your job title. And he's standing there by the pool in his chino shorts, FaceTiming. You, you don't FaceTime with a client. Are you on Zoom on your phone? I can't handle it. Um, B is a mindset and meditation coach leading guided meditations on her computer. This is a fake image. She's posing for this. There's it's, no way. She's like, she does it when he says it. She, he's like, this is her job. And she goes like this to the camera. Like, you can't meditate with a computer. The computers are the reason we're all meditating. Jess, did you see this video? No, I'm just looking at the screenshot. Oh my gosh. Terrible chat. Go to marketingclock.com or yeah, go to marketingclock.com and watch the entire video. It is truly gut-wrenching. The one girl's an e-com trader and then we have Jer or an e-com wizard, he calls her. Like all of you people should be on, this should be like a LinkedIn house, not a TikTok house. Jared is a fitness trainer and actor and he's lifting a weight with one hand, eating with the other and studying lines at the same time. This is fake. Just terrible. And you guys, I've got the worst news because then you go to the profile. You don't even know the worst part about this whole thing. They're all couples. Oh, it's four children. couples living together in a house, making dance videos and working from home all day. I bet this is where Corona started. <laughs> this house. It's so, they're doing these like, these hopscotch dance routines. I'm just, it's horrible. I've, it's bad. And it's real? You're telling me this is real? It's real. There are a bunch of couples who moved in together and they make dance videos. There's one of them all voting on who's going to do the dishes that night. Like, just, oh, can you why imagine? There's no way any of them come out as friends. No, and why is it called the Honey House? Like, I know the one girl's name is B, but, oh, Greg, get your dish soap and yeah. long hose. We'll just fill the house up, flush them out. Seriously. They'll live. It'll just smell bad. They won't want to be there. If you watch the video, you need something higher power than that. <laughs> Cascade. All right, now to this week's grab bag, where remember, if you are looking for some good content, there's inbound 2020 this year, September 22nd, 23rd. The cost of the tickets are now $119, but our fave here at the show, Andrea Cruz, is has a session there, so it is all be worth it. There's the new agenda for the MarTech Conference. It's martechconf.com. Head over to the show notes for it. The full agenda has been posted. And that is October 6th through the 8th. We also have some new search swag. And this comes from Search Engine Journal. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but I don't like this shirt. Because I just don't like Metallica. But if you love Metallica, you will love the shirt. And Jess, I bet you love this shirt. It is the Metallica symbol. But instead of Metallica, it says metadata. So I enjoyed Metallica live. Loved the show. But the only thing better than this shirt, which is funny, is the description, which we don't have time to read. But it's really well written. It's really funny. Everyone should go check it out and maybe buy the shirt. But at least read the description. Because people took time to write that. And I'm impressed. And I know I'm in the minority. And all you in the majority, go check it out. It is this month only. Don't miss it. Just have a little fun here. We've got one tweet. It's a meme from Charlie Wagner at Data Chaz, somebody you should be following on Twitter. And he has a quote saying, AI will take over the world. And then it says, AI colon. And what's the name of that cat from Real Housewives? Smudge. Smudge the cat. It's just a picture of Smudge the cat. And the AI has a little uh, square around it saying, dog. This is the funniest thing on the internet. <laughs> Gotta keep it light here. Gotta keep it light here.
now for this week's Cool Tool. As a reminder, our Cool Tool segment is not an official endorsement or paid mention. We're simply sharing something we found in our travels that may be of use to our listeners and is really, really cool. This week's Cool Tool is the Keyword Surfer Chrome extension from the folks over at Surfer SEO. Keyword Surfer helps you do on-the-spot keyword research from right within the SERPs. It's really, really cool. With the extension enabled, Google searches will include the estimated monthly search volume on your own query, and the tool will also surface related keyword ideas. It'll show you a similarity percentage based on the percentage of pages that rank for both those terms that it's recommending and your original search. And if you like what you see, you can save them to a list with just one click. Again, you're not leaving the SERPs, and then when you're done, you can export it later. So you have all those terms saved. The extension also adds context to the organic listings with estimated monthly traffic, word count, and even keyword use on each page. It's really cool and it's 100% free. So you can head on over to marketingoclock.com for the link in our show notes, or you can just search for Keyword Surfer in the Chrome Web Store and check it out. Now it's time for our must-read marketing article of the week. An article so advanced, so in-depth, so detailed that we simply cannot cover it in its entirety on today's show. And this week's must-read marketing article of the week comes from GoFish Digital and Bill Sawaski. He's got a post called Apple Search is Already Here. And in case you don't know Bill, he is a must-follow on Twitter. He covers all the patents, everything that the search engines are putting out. And he runs through a reason why you should pay attention to Apple covers the beginning of it, starting with Siri, how there was job posts for a search engine position, about the search technology that they have, including some patents that he's found, deep linking in Apple Search and how that could play into everything. If you're a search geek, you already love Bill, but you're definitely going to love this post. Thank you, Bill. All right, that does it for today's show. It is now officially not marketing o'clock. Remember, you can catch everything from the show on marketingoclock.com or leave us a message at call.marketingoclock.com. And please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And we will see you next week. Welcome to this week's Shoot in the Heck. We're after our famous Friday news show. We don't talk about marketing anymore. We just shoot the heck. And today we have an amazing game. Um, it's everyone's favorite game, and it's about everyone's favorite microwavable meal in a pocket. Yes. Um. <laughs> Welcome to 90 <laughs> Seconds in the Microwave, a game where if you win, you can call yourself a champ. But if you lose, the roof of your mouth will be scorched forever. <laughs> forever? Forever. <laughs> this is it, guys. I'm not prepared for this. Okay. <sighs> all right. So I will say that most of this trivia, if not all of it, came from a YouTube video called The Truth About Hot Pockets Finally Revealed, which we alluded to, I think, last week on the show. So <laughs> fans yes, will be Jess most is the excited. only one who watched it. Yes, twice. Now, I've invested 20 minutes of my life into this YouTube video. All right. So this is a trivia game. It's multiple choice. Shep, why don't you go first, since okay. you love Hot Pockets so much? I don't really. I can't remember the last time I ate one. Perfect. Um, not required to win the game. You just need to know stuff. So Hot Pockets is not the original name of Hot Pockets. What is? A, Pocket Witch. B, Crispy Quick. Three, Tasty Witch. That would have been C. And D, Chunk Stuffers. Okay.
going with A, even though I didn't get it at first. I thought it was like spooky season, like a pocket witch. Um, and it's almost spooky season. So that's my answer. Oh, well, you're wrong. It's oh. actually, it's according to the I video. I can't steal? Do you want to? Yeah. Okay, yeah. B. Which one, B? Uh, B. Crispy Quick? Yes. Also incorrect. So that you had a 50% chance at getting this right because there's two answers. Tasty Witch, according to the video, was the original name. But if you Google it, Chunk Stuffers was the original name. So either what? of those would have been awarded a point and you both lost. I don't know about, this might be a fake video. Okay, what's next? Tasty if I hear Witch? The term, if I hear the term Chunk Stuffers again, I'm out of here. It's terrible. <laughs> All right, Greg, this question's for you. Which actor used Chunk Stuffers to help him gain 40 pounds for a role? A, Daniel Day-Lewis. B, Jason Segel. Three, Jared Leto. Or D, Christian Bale. I'm going to go with two, B. Jason Siegel, that's correct. He ate two Hot Pockets every three hours for two weeks in preparation for the movie The End of the Tour, which I've never even heard of. Have you guys heard of that? Sounds like a good investment. Well, that wasn't fair because Greg like, knows a lot about Jason Siegel. Does he? Do you? Yeah. I actually don't. He talks about that one movie all the time. We had that one episode, we'll have to link to it, where I had a lot of good things, good quotes from, yeah. I don't even know the name of the show. Forgetting the Sarah, Marshall. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, right? It's my wife's favorite movie, so I have to watch it sometimes. You guys should watch the end of the tour and eat a Hot Pocket while you do it. Excuse no me, thanks. a chunk stuffer. <clears throat> All right, Shep, your turn. Which of these is the actual Hot Pockets tagline? Irresistibly hot, the original handwich, wow your mouth, or <laughs> better ingredients, better pizza? I thought it was 40 just pizzas hot. in 30 days. I thought it was just Hot Pockets. <laughs> Not okay. the jingle. Okay. Um, I think, can you repeat B? <clears throat> the original hand. Yeah. I think, it's, I think it's, I thought it was that, but now I don't. Whatever, I'm going with it. <laughs> Brushing my teeth this morning. I was trying to think of a slogan and that's what I came up with. And you think that's real? That makes me so happy. The answer is irresistibly hot. <laughs> I agree. The that's original so stupid. Was... That's like those Coors Light where you're like, my beer is cold. That's like, if I put it in the sun, it's going to be warm. Irresistibly hot. That's, that's I don't understand. Worst. I don't understand people. That's a terrible slogan. You know, like wow, your and mouth. I came up yeah, with that too. And they do burn your mouth. What mm -hmm. idiot? Okay, Hi, I'm losing. Okay, I don't think I have a chance, but we can keep going. Are you guys keeping score? I think Greg has one, right? Yeah. Oh, Greg, I didn't let you steal that one. It's fine, you're winning. <clears throat> All right, next question for you, Greg. Michelle Janavs, heiress to the Hot Pocket fortune, was part of which recent scandal? A, the one where rapper Takashi69 ratted out his fellow gang members. B, the one where high-profile Twitter accounts were hacked and offered sick deals on Bitcoin. C, the one, or three, the one where people were bribing colleges to admit their children. And D, the one where Reba's husband's ex-wife looked like a Reba clone. Three. You're correct! When? Oh my God. Yay! Game over. Yes, she was sentenced to five months jail time and two years supervised release. That you is should so expedite that by putting it in the microwave, Jess. <laughs> I see what you did there. And we will see you next week.